0: It's Wednesday, February 2nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. One of the longest running mysteries of the pandemic has been long COVID and what causes it. Studies have found that 10 to 20% of people that have recovered from the coronavirus get long COVID, which can appear up to three months after recovery and last for six months or more in some cases. Researchers are zeroing in on the causes And the two leading theories are that the virus turns the immune system against the body. And despite recovering, the virus could be lingering in the body, not in the blood, but in the body's tissues. Yasmin Tayag, contributor to Vox, joins us for what could be behind long COVID. Next, Los Angeles is hoping to build a future where water won't run out and comes from mostly local sources. Currently, Southern California gets most of its water from the Colorado River and up north but there have been billions of dollars in investments to double down on water recycling, reclamation, and storage. The goals are lofty to treat water locally, but it could set up L.A. to be water independent as droughts continue. Laura Bliss, reporter at Bloomberg City Lab, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Um, the
1: lingering virus is, they're not really sure what it's doing. It might not be doing anything, but it all, might also be injuring tissues directly or leaking virus proteins into the bloodstream which go on to activate the immune system or they might be triggering inflammation in the brain by traveling up the vagus nerve.
0: Joining us now is Yasmin Tayag, contributor to Vox. Thanks for joining us, Yasmin. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about long COVID. This is one of the most mysterious parts of the coronavirus pandemic that uh, scientists and and people have had to deal with. So, you know, long COVID, basically some of the symptoms keep persisting with people long after they've recovered from actually having COVID-19, sometimes months, uh, longer than that, six months. I've heard a year in some cases people are dealing with symptoms after their initial infection. And uh, it's been very perplexing for scientists. They're starting to zero in on certain things that could be causing it and Two big theories surround the immune system, obviously, is uh, going haywire still. And lingering virus could also be causing problems in people and, and, and making these problems persist. So, Yasmin, what are scientists looking at and what are they starting to realize what's going on with this?
1: Yeah, well, one of the big challenges with long COVID research is that there are so many symptoms to account for. And scientists have had to figure out what is the root biological cause behind all of them. And one of the things that's been helpful is understanding that there is no one long COVID. There's probably many different subtypes of this condition that we're calling long COVID. And so with that in mind, they're teasing out the different drivers. So as you mentioned, one of the big ones is the immune system. And this was suspected long ago um, at the beginning of long COVID research. They think that uh, because of the initial infection, the immune system in some people is just going haywire. Either it's reacting too strongly or more likely it's reacting against the self. So the body's own immune system starts attacking its own cells. And that is what's behind some of the symptoms we're seeing, such as uh, brain fog or blood clots that are being seen throughout the blood. Um, So that's one potential uh, driver right. and the other one as you mentioned the other big suspect is the possible persistence of virus in the system so this is simply that the virus doesn't entirely get eliminated after your initial infect- infection and it's just hanging out in the body and one of the difficult things uh, about studying this is that Scientists are finding that the virus, when it does linger, it's not really in the blood. It tends to hang out inside the tissues. And so you're not going to catch this with a simple blood test. Uh, they're now developing diagnostics to find these markers that you know would otherwise go unnoticed. Right. Um, but lingering virus is, they're not really sure what it's doing. It might not be doing anything, but it all, might also be injuring tissues directly or leaking virus proteins into the bloodstream which go on to activate the immune system or they might be triggering inflammation in the brain by traveling up the vagus nerve so scientists are trying to tease out all these different different drivers and what complicates the matter is they're probably all interconnected.
0: Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I mean, they're kind of related, right? If the virus is lingering and the immune system is constantly picking up signs of it and, you know, throwing antibodies at it, throwing stuff at it to at least address what it's sensing, you know, it's going to it's gonna keep uh, the immune system in that constant state of flux. Um, uh, tiny blood clots are also in this, you know, uh, that kind of fuels that immune system reaction, too. That's another one that they think could make the things persist.
1: Yeah, the blood clots are super interesting. So they're seen in patients with both acute COVID and in patients with long COVID. And um, what scientists in South Africa are finding is that inside these clots, like these clots are really resistant to breaking down. And normally the body is able to do that. But they, the scientists ask, why aren't these clots getting digested? And it's because inside them, hidden inside, are these inflammatory molecules that are sort of preventing this digestion. And they may also be triggering the immune system to react. So, you know, by blowing up these blood clots to see what's inside, scientists are getting a better idea of what's. What yeah. is causing them
0: to stick around? And so these are the kind of the two leading theories, right? It's uh, the immune system and the lingering virus. But they've kind of also identified, I guess, four other criteria that uh, that people might have that could make them uh, suffer from long COVID. And it's kind of some of the stuff that we've heard about before, some of the uh, comorbidities and all that. But basically, if, if you had high levels of the virus uh, in your blood when you were infected, that can lead to long COVID. You have type 2 diabetes, unfortunately, that could lead to it. Epstein-Barr virus, which uh, I guess 90% of the global population has, it lays dormant in the body. If that gets reactivated, that can make it happen. And then these auto antibodies, which you kind of talked about, things that are just attacking your own cells. So these other four factors could contribute to that as well.
1: Yeah, the recent research, and this is really early research, so it's not really a diagnostic yet, but they think these factors might put certain people at higher risk for long COVID. And they will, you know, possibly be a thing to look out for as scientists try to predict who's most at risk when they're in the early stages of infection.
0: The good thing about this, though, is that while they're doing this research, while they're looking to see what the root causes are, a lot of the scientists and researchers are focusing a lot on the treatment of the symptoms, and, you know, they feel uh, at least pretty good that they'll have something that'll kind of address some of it, at least to make the symptoms not as as worse.
1: Yeah, um, you know, there's this one scientist here in New York, David Petrino, who his background is in rehab therapy, and he's finding that some rehab techniques can help people with a lot of the symptoms of lung COVID. A lot of the common ones are like, you know, breathing issues or, you know, because uh, the body isn't, you know, at it working at its best, you know, problems with physical movement. And there's, you know, very slow and patient coaching that can help them recover their breathing, recover their movements. Um, and that's that's proving to be quite promising, but it doesn't cover all the symptoms. And so, you know, as I talked about before, there are different subsets of this condition that, you know, will probably require different types of treatment. You know, on the other hand, there are also scientists working on, you know, looking at different drugs that might be able to to deal with the symptoms or to deal with the blood clots. And these are all in development, but... To, to really get them, you know, get these treatments out into the world and helping patients we we'll need to have clinical trials, which are expensive. And yeah. I think funding is a problem with a lot of long COVID research.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to kind of illustrate how difficult this is and the range of symptoms, right? So the symptoms that uh, people report that have long COVID, there's more than 200 across 10 groups of different organ systems. So there's just a lot of variables, really, But I wanted to ask about, um, because it was interesting also, they noticed that in people that had long COVID, it kind of didn't matter if you were severely infected. People that had milder symptoms still could come down with it, right? It could come back at you months later. And, you know, that kind of figures into the conversation that we're having with the Omicron variant, where we are seeing a lot more milder cases, but they still don't know. It's just too early to tell if even the Omicron variant can spur some of this long COVID.
1: Yeah, they're really not sure yet. You know, I think they're. It it is seeming more likely that if you have really severe disease that you'll be more likely to uh, end up with long COVID. But again, as you said, people who have been asymptomatic or had really mild cases also end up with long COVID, so they don't know. And with Omicron, you know, it's too early to tell. Omicron's only been around for two months, so nobody's really reporting, quote unquote, long COVID symptoms yet, which... Happen after three months, Um, but what all of the research I spoke to told me is that regardless of whether Omicron causes you know a lower rate of long COVID, the fact that there are so many people with Omicron, you know, means that even a small proportion of those people will still be a big number.
0: Right. Yeah. It's kind of that uh, unfortunate lottery, right? There's just so many numbers that are happening. You know, it could unfortunately befall you so just interesting look as i mentioned this has kind of been one of the biggest mysteries since the start of the pandemic these ongoing lingering symptoms they're starting to nail it down but uh still a long way to go before we figured out exactly what's happening yasmin tayag contributor to vox thank you very much for joining us
1: thank you recycling
2: uh, groundwater, and also just capturing more of the rainfall that comes into the city. Currently, I mean, people who have been to L.A., who live in L.A., know it's, you know, it's a pretty paved paradise, <laughs> right? A lot of that water that's falling is just, you know, hitting the surface and going right into the ocean. But the city is working on ways to actually capture more of that so that
0: uh, we can use it. Joining us now is Laura Bliss, reporter at Bloomberg City Lab. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. Let's talk about the water situation in uh, really the situation in much of the West. But we're going to concentrate on Los Angeles and Southern California for this story. Uh, You know, the L.A. area with uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti really doubling down on efforts to recycle water, uh, water reclamation, increase the storage of water. Because despite some of the nice heavy rains that we had and, and storms that we had over the holidays, we're in much of the, the West uh, still with uh, facing drought conditions, so it's really hard. And what we do for our water is really important, most of it from the Colorado River and other sources up north. And uh, so L.A. is kind of on this mission to uh, have some water independence, I guess you could say. So, Laura, help us out with it. What are we seeing? It's a pretty
2: interesting story, you know, given L.A.'s storied reputation as this huge city that really grew out of its ability to import water from Northern California and the Colorado river really grew out of, of the, those uh, conditions in the 20th century when it built the LA aqueduct and, and the California state water project really started sending lots of resources down to Southern California where, you know, the natural climate conditions are pretty dry. Uh, now, you know, as, our whole world faces climate change and an increasingly warm and dry future and less precipitation, less snowfall, as we've been experiencing this January in California and really throughout the West. Um, LA has exactly, as you said, been doubling down for years uh, on its ability to be more self-reliant. It actually has a goal of supplying 70% of its water from local sources by 2035, Uh, and as you said, that's uh, they're approaching that through a number of kind of prongs. They're right. investing heavily in water storage um, as a region. so this kind of goes beyond Los Angeles. And then the city itself is really working on uh, you know, recycling water both in terms of the uh, wastewater that it uses or, or sort of processes in the city and and also um, uh recycling uh groundwater and also just capturing more of the rainfall that comes into the city currently i mean people who have been to la who live in la know it's you know it's a pretty paved paradise <laughs> right <laughs> a lot of that rainfall water that's falling is just you know hitting the surface and going right into the ocean but the city is working on ways to actually capture more of that so that that uh, we can use it
0: let's talk a little bit more about the water recycling because that's where a lot of the investments are going into there's a water reclamation plant, I think it's called the Hyperion Water Reclamation Plant. That was about $4.3 billion. So this is an important one, too, because they want to source 35% of the city's water from recycling up from a, 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 what the current rate of 2% right now. So that's a huge jump. And, and you know, we're kind of just getting started with all this. So, uh, you know, you know the, the goals are are pretty big with it.
2: Yeah, like goals are huge, and you're right. I mean, the the amount of money the city is spending on on these infrastructure improvements is is quite substantial. Um, yeah, there's that four point three billion dollar figure for the Hyperion Water Reclamation Plant, which probably many Angelinos might that yeah, sounds vaguely familiar. if you know it, it exists already, and, and it's where um, wastewater is currently treated before it basically just goes into the ocean. But what they're doing there now is actually working to make more of that water. Uh, drinkable and usable. And this is a a kind of technology and a a practice that's really been tested out by Orange County um, for many years where they've done wastewater and kind of recycling to to potable standards. Um, So there's that. There's, um, As I mentioned, there's a whole effort to clean up more groundwater. So currently, LA sits on a pretty vast aquifer and quite a bit of the water that is down there is polluted uh, because of, you know, decades of, of uh, kind of industrial uses, and uh, at, at one of the um, sites that LEDWP has in North Hollywood over in the San Fernando Valley, there is a multi-million dollar effort to uh, bring that plant up to up to step so that that water can also be potable. Um, so this is a really expensive and very long-term endeavor Um and I should say that, you know, there are folks who are critical of, of Los Angeles's investments and, and I should say really criti- more, more critical of just the kind of confidence that it's projecting. So, you know, in our story, we have quotes from Mayor Eric Barsetti and the head of LADWP. I mean, talking about their confidence that Los Angeles is going to be, you know, have plenty of water in the future. It's right. going to be resilient to droughts, despite, you know, pretty scary, uh, you know, future forecasts for, for what the West faces. And and there are some people uh, who say that, you know, LA should be focusing more on conservation.
0: That's exactly what I wanted to ask too. How does LA, how does Southern California do when it comes to conservation? Because we know the calls, we hear the calls all the time, uh, you know, to save some water, use less water. Uh, but I think... Uh, over the summer, we ended up using more water than 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 we have before. So, you know, that's another huge uh, uh, problem for it, too.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's worth noting, like, historically speaking, and I mean that over, over the last 50 years, uh, LA has been very good at water conservation. So that's just worth calling out that per capita, meaning, you know, per resident, Los Angeles uses less water than it did in 1970, despite a population increase of more than a million people. So that is a decline in water use of more than 40%. And that is, you know, due to things like installing water saving shower heads and, you know, washing machines and, and people replacing their lawns and, and, and that kind of thing. So that, that is worth calling out, but it's true. As you said, uh, LA did actually increase its water use in, in July and in a couple months over last summer, even after California governor Newsom um, asked all Californians to, to cut back. And so there are some concerns among some experts and people who kind of follow this the situation that, you know, is LA, you know, tooting its horn a little bit too much when it really should be focusing more on, on conservation, kind of those basics. Um, So, you know, I think, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, as as this kind of dry condition we're experiencing currently and how the city responds to that.
0: Yeah. It's a multi-pronged effort, as we said, uh, recycling, reclamation, beefing up the aquifers, and conservation, you know, it's, it's all of it, really. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. I, the, the investments that are going into it are, are hoping to, we're hoping that they pay off, but, you know, we'll have to see with all of it.
2: I would just add that one of the most striking quotes was from Felicia Marcus, who is the former chair of the California State Water Resources Control Board. So she used to oversee kind of how the whole state uses their water system. And she called LA uh, as the future epicenter of climate adaptation and urban water in the world. And she said it's going to be expensive, but it's going to seem like a bargain compared to being without water.
0: Laura Bliss, reporter at Bloomberg City Lab. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Diver is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.